0: In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, 3,500 years before Christ in Psalm 118, the psalmist says this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. For many centuries, the Jews would look at that psalm and they'd sing it often and they'd wonder, what is that stone? Was it the Ten Commandments? Was it the 613 Jewish laws that they built their religion around that was given through Moses at Sinai? Was it the traditions that they had for their Jewish families? Was it the culture? Was it the sacrifices that they had to give, it seems like almost weekly, especially two or three times a year for themselves and for their families? Was it the people themselves? What was the stone? Or was it a person? Or was it two or three persons? Well, in fact, the truth is it was a person. It was the person of the Messiah. And that person we know is Jesus Christ. And the apostles tell us in their writings in the New Testament, he is the stone that the Jewish leaders of his day rejected, and he's become the cornerstone for the church. In one single solitary life, lived only in a place that was a 150 miles north to south, and at its widest point, 75 miles wide. He never left that area. Long before there was a printing press, movable type, telephones, any kind of internet, digital, Facebook, anything at all, Jesus never wrote a book. He lived out a perfect life. He fulfilled over 250 indirect prophecies that were written in the Jewish Hebrew scriptures. He fulfilled 50 and more direct prophecies, and everything went exactly the way it was supposed to, while sometimes on the surface it looked like chaos. And he saved the planet, all of humanity, anyone who would trust in him would be saved. He was the long-promised stone that the builders rejected that became the capstone. Today, we're going to see Jesus with his disciples at a very special moment. What he's doing is defining himself in conversation with his 12 disciples just the way I just defined him. And we're going to watch him do it. We're going to learn from him. It is near the end of his very short three-year ministry. He is up in the Galilean area, north of the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to make his last long trip in the spring of the year down to Jerusalem. And he knows This will mean that they will put him to death. The disciples aren't really sure what's going on. But Jesus, everywhere he went, he had throngs of people that would come to him. He's just recently fed 4,000 people before that was the feeding of the 5,000. He's healed tons of people, cast demons out, and he's got crowds all around him. So he takes the 12 disciples and he says, let's get away. And they make the 24-mile trek north of the Sea of Galilee, up north and east to the foothills of the tallest mountain in the entire region, Mount Hermon. They go to the foothills of Mount Hermon where there's a city that that the Herod called Philippi, or Philip, Herod the Tetrarch, he, uh, built, uh, he rebuilt and refurbished a city and renamed it Caesarea Philippi in honor of Caesar Augustus to to ally himself with Caesar but also to uh, put his own name on it and leave a heritage for himself this city had uh, is built this village city is built in the foothills of Mount Hermon that tall mountain and it has a a grotto on a cliff face it's a cave where water is gushing out today it's just oozing out but back then it was gushing out and the Greeks loved that and Romans would follow their love for the place the Greeks had put up a a a temple around that grotto to the Greek god Pan. And in this place, now named Caesarea Philippi, somewhere near this grotto where there's a cliff, a, a large rock face, Jesus gets away with his disciples. It's not a place that had an incredibly large amount of Jewish people. And there weren't throngs looking for Jesus. And he could get alone with his disciples. And he could make sure... But the 12 disciples who would be the foundations of the early church. He could make sure that they understood who he was. He would define himself. And that's what he does in this conversation. And Jesus is the master teacher. And so it's not enough that he would just tell them. He needs them to actually involve themselves in learning what he's telling them. So that it will be sticky and stay in their soul. So he uses good questions. And we're going we're gonna to come along, and we're going to watch Jesus teach them, and we're going to learn how important and how solid it is to trust in Jesus as our cornerstone. So go with me to Matthew chapter 16, and let's read this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. What a fantastic, interesting, small, wonderful, teachable moment that we find Jesus in. He says to them, who do people say that I am? And they tell him, these different different people that the crowds were saying Jesus was. John the Baptist had just recently been put to death, but he was the greatest known preacher in the entire Holy Land before Christ. He was Jesus' cousin. He was the great forerunner of the Christ. But there's a tremendous amount of ignorance throughout the entire region. And so many people seeing that Jesus preached justice fearlessly would say, maybe he's John the Baptist risen from the dead. He's, he, he has the same kind of power and authority and, and people's lives are being changed. And they're baptizing around Jesus. His disciples were just the way John the Baptist disciples baptized people. Maybe he's John the Baptist risen from the dead. So that's what the disciples say. Some people say that. Some people say you're Elijah. Well, where would they get that notion? Well, in the last book of the Old Testament, which was their Bible, the last book of their Hebrew scriptures, Malachi chapter 4, it says Elijah will come and turn the hearts of fathers toward their children. And for the 400 years since that was written until the time of Christ, People talked about how Elijah would rise from the dead. According to prophecy, they thought they had it right. And that maybe Jesus was the great Elijah, who would then make him the forerunner of the Christ. Some said maybe it's Jeremiah. There was a folklore in the Hebrew scriptures that are not in the Hebrew Bible, that are now part of what we call the the, uh, apocrypha. They, in, the, in the, one of the book of Maccabees, it said that Jeremiah and get the, the articles from the old tent, kind of like the, uh, the search for the Holy Grail, they get the Ark of the Covenant and get the uh, tent that used to be the tabernacle. He was going to get them where they were hidden in a cave and bring them out and erect them again and cause true worship of Jehovah to happen at the, the, the restored tabernacle. That was a folklore that was around. So some people think maybe you're that Jeremiah. Because that's what some people were looking for. Or maybe one of the other prophets risen from the dead. In other words, there were a lot of things being said about Jesus Christ and who he was in their day. As much as there was said about Jesus, not one of those things was true. And this underscores why Jesus, for his 12 disciples that would take over and proclaim his name would have to talk to his disciples about who he was. He is only weeks away from leaving earth and he wants to define himself. Before I ever became a pastor, I had a a pastor tell me, as a leader in the church, you have to define yourself or people will define you for you. Just talking about leadership. Well, that leadership principle is ringing true for Jesus. The leader of the universe is on earth and he must define himself. And especially to these 12 men. And so he's got them away from the crowds. And he's spending some time right before he makes his last great trip to suffer and die. He, he defines who he is. So he gets them to, to kind of vomit out everything that, uh, that uh, people are saying about him. It's still true today though that after all this history. After Jesus has done everything and the New Testament was written very soon after Christ. And, and the gospel, the good news of who he is and what he did to come to save us has been out there for a very long time. It's still true that in the wayward hearts of people, even very scholarly people, many different things are being said about Jesus. You can imagine, a, a, we, we all maybe collect something as a pastor, a preacher. I, some, I collect magazines that I see when I'm going, checking out at the grocery store that are about Jesus Christ. Uh, just about every year at Christmas or Easter, you'll see things like this because the, the people that write and sell magazines, they know that if at Christmas and Easter and there are Christians checking out or just people that are de-churched, they might want to buy their magazine and so they'll, they'll produce their reports. Uh, these are magazines in popular literature and they are very non-discerning, uh, the, uh, the, the writers and the editors on who they go to get to give them their answers much of this is like the stuff you'll see on the history channel or national geographic and they're they're filled with all kinds of ideas that are spun by people about the bible or about jesus christ and the person that he really was that are very different than what the new testament presents itself they'll present an argument that the new testament that we have right now is actually something removed from what the real jesus was and they have all kinds of stories to tell and none of them are based in true fact. They're, ba- they're based in presuppositions. These magazines here talk about Jesus as being a radical that was trying to overturn the government, a man that failed in his mission so he had to acquiesce at the end and advocate to death as a martyr to make his point. Um, they talk about him as a humanitarian, a great teacher, a moralist, someone who brought a new and fresher, boots-on-the-ground religion, but all of them would say the thought that Jesus was the savior of the world. Was, was not something that the original Jesus taught. They would say he was a great teacher. A good person. But they wouldn't say he was the savior. Just like in Jesus' day. They had different ideas about who Jesus was. And Jesus has to define himself. So the question remains for Christians today is. Is the church of Jesus Christ. Built on the rock of Jesus or some other rock. Can, can the rock of Jesus be kind of like a, a, a big lump of clay that you can mold however you want? Or was it a lump of clay and it was molded by the church and then hardened over time and tradition to be what we think it is today? That's what these magazines would tell you. Or was it a rock solid objective truth that God himself gets to define? It was the latter and Jesus, Jesus wants us to, to know that. So he, he says to them, the 12, as he's using the plural, second, the second person plural, who do you say that I am? Real interesting thing about the original, there's a word for speaking and there's a word for saying it in a proclamatory way. Jesus is using this second word. He's, he's saying, you men are about to take over. You're going to proclaim who I am. Who are you saying to yourselves in honesty and what you're going to say to the public? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who is prone to speak up for the whole group, he's been the the personality leader. Not really yet appointed to be the, the lead apostle, but He is the personality leader. He's a strong personality. It fits him to speak first. Peter speaks for the group. And he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Not Elijah, not John the Baptist, not Jeremiah, not one of the prophets. You are the anointed one that's talked about in in Isaiah 42, in Psalm 2. In Psalm 110, in Psalm 118, which has the stone the builders rejected. You are the Isaiah 53, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, punished for us. You are the Savior God, the Son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, you've been blessed. That's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword. Because he says, you've been blessed. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father did. Um, It's a great blessing that Peter has that he has such a confession of faith. But Jesus is saying, you didn't come up with that on your own. It didn't come through all of your study and you were an expert that was uh, asked by some magazine to give your expert opinion based on your years of historical study. No, that came straight from God through his words, through what you've seen happen we picked you to, to know this, Peter. We came, he sent me to come by the Sea of Galilee to reveal my glory and all of my miracles, to give you my word of grace and forgiveness and for me to tell you clearly. And, he, and the, next, the next saying that we're not going to cover today is Jesus saying, I'm going to Jerusalem to die for the world. I would, you were chosen by the Father to learn that I was, I am the Son of the living God come to earth. Whenever you see the term living God it, 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 is, it is setting God apart from all the false ideas about God that are out there. So when, when, when he says, who do people say that I am? And they give all these ideas. And then Peter says, but who do, when Jesus says, who do you say I am? He says, you are the son of the living God. What what Peter is saying is, you're the only God. Uh, a similar example, which is in the st- the scriptures that Peter would have studied, is Daniel. When Daniel... Uh, is taken out of the lion's den by Darius, the king. Darius says, I make a decree that Daniel's God is the only living God. And just like Isaiah the prophet, what Darius is saying as a Persian is, all the idols are just dead. They're just wood, stone, and, and precious metals, but they're not really a god. But Daniel's God is the living God. That's what Peter is saying is, you are the truth, and every other god is a lie. Now remember where they are. They're in Caesarea Philippi. Where there's this grotto nearby. That the whole city. It's kind of the culture of the city. This grotto is Pan, A Greek god. That is now adopted into some of the Roman ideas about gods. And there's this grotto. And there's this water flowing out. We'll say more about that in a few minutes. And Peter says you are. The living God compared to the false gods. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Now Peter's right. And Jesus tells him that he's right. And he says the father has revealed that to you. This is the rock solid truth. There is no other God. And there's no other person. That's the rock. The stone. That this whole movement to save the planet is built upon. He says to Peter because remember his given name was Simon but Jesus has already renamed him Peter a long time before this he says he says to him you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it what is that about man there are volumes written about what Jesus meant especially by the church called Roman Catholic Church because in the in the late uh, first millennium in the, the five 600s, uh, the campaign to make Peter the first pope was launched. And they said Jesus was saying that he would build his church on a human being after him who would always have someone, the Holy See, sitting on a throne in the church who would be the ruler of the world of church and temporal affairs. And Peter was the first pope and Jesus was saying that. Because the word Peter is petros, which is rock. But it's really not what Jesus meant. Now, Peter certainly was the lead apostle of his generation until his death. He was overlapped by the apostle Paul. But Peter even gave Paul the content of Paul's witness when Paul came to spend 15 days with him. When Paul was in his developmental years. Peter was the the apostle that Jesus, after his resurrection, singled out and said, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter was still the personality leader of the twelve. Peter was the one on Pentecost when they were all speaking in tongues and they were starting to get made fun of as if they were drunk men that stood up and got everybody's attention, filled with the Spirit, and gave a sermon in which 3,000 people, the first 3,000 converts after the first 120, that were saved. And just a few days later, after healing the, the crippled man, Peter's the one that gave the sermon in which 2,000 more were saved. The church went from essentially 12 to 120 to, to 5,000 people through the ministry of Peter. Peter was the one that all the way through chapter like 13 of, of Acts is, is the beginning of the church. And then Paul comes to see Peter the Apostle Paul, and he learns from Peter. And Peter's a weak human being. He shows his weaknesses in the, in the letters, and Paul talks about it later in Galatians. But Paul comes and gets the witness of everything that Jesus said and did from Peter, and he takes that message with his study of the Scriptures and launches a, gen, a campaign to reach the Gentiles. But starting with Peter, that, that disciple, with the, with the twelve, the lead disciple, Jesus builds his church on the confession of, that Jesus Jesus is the son of the living God, the true God come to earth to save us. So what Jesus is saying when he says, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it is you, I have just in real time, in real history, I have defined who I am. I have gotten you to define it because now you understand it and God the father has revealed this to you and when I pass away and I will be passing away, rising again, ascending into heaven, and going away, watching over you from above, you, through the message about me, will build the church. That's what he's saying. And there's a little play on the geography here. He says the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. There was some folklore that the the deep water... Right outside the grotto in Caesarea Philippi, where there was the grotto, was a temple to Pan, the, the Greek god. The, the, that, that, that water, that, that, that body of water that the water flowed out of the cave into, was so deep, they would say they've never found the bottom of it in their day because they didn't have ropes long enough. They would tie a rock or a weight to a rope and put it down. They never could get deep enough to get to the bottom. They would say, This is the gate to Hades. And that the, the, the devil and his demons and the, and would, would come and go out of this, they would say, out of this body of water. So Jesus says, sitting there, says Rhea, he's using that picture. And I'm sure many people in their day knew that that was a folklore and maybe didn't fully adopt it themselves. But Jesus says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against this message. There's a rock face there which is the the term Jesus used for on this rock, I will build my church. So you are Peter, and on this rock, this confession of faith in me, I will build my church. All of this is at play when Jesus was there with his disciples, getting them ready to be the leaders of the church. But you know, you can get the person of Christ right. You can understand that he is the, the divine being, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son come to earth. And still miss out on what his true work was. The whole church is built on this rock. What is the person and the work of Jesus Christ? And you can get the the work of Christ wrong. Let me give you an example. Uh, It was probably uh, 24, 5 years ago. One of our members was a student at the University of Texas. And he uh, was part of a conservative club. And he caught wind that there was a a club that was, was exclusively for people that were homosexuals that was getting churches to come and sit, the pastors to sit on a panel and tell how the church was welcoming them into their church and how that would be. And he wanted me to come and be on the panel, but they wouldn't let him get me on that panel, which I was fine with. But he asked me to sit in the crowd and it was in just a classroom. There were only 30, 40 students there, but these four pastors were up front. Now, we certainly, the love of Christ is for all people, and all sinners are the same, but all sinners are called to repentance and to believe in Christ as their Savior. That's what the work of Christ is, that He died for our sins, and we are to come and confess our sins, asking for grace and forgiveness, and receiving that grace through Jesus Christ, who did it all for us and died on the cross. We are saved. The welcoming of any sinner, of any stripe, is through repentance and faith in Christ. These four men, though, said it was without repentance. And of course, my, my member, who's a student, is waiting for his pastor to somewhere, when they get the floor, to say something so that the real message of Christ would be heard. And I'm thinking, man, I sure got myself in a pickle in here because I'm in here with everybody. I'm going to say the diametrically opposed message to what everybody else up front has said and what everybody's clapping about. So they had questions and answers, and, in, and, and a few people asked their questions. And then I asked the question, what was Jesus Christ? Who was Jesus Christ and what was his message? And I said, before you answer, because you probably don't want me to speak long, let me just tell you that this is what we have always said in the Christian church. Because there was a Catholic, a Methodist, a um, Episcopalian, and I forgot what the last one was. And and, uh, they had all said something different. And so I said, Jesus was God's son come to earth to die on the cross for all of our sins, that which is deviant in all of us, to give us grace and forgiveness, and that we would repent of our sins and believe in him as our savior. That's the message that the church has taught for thousands of years. But I would like to hear from each one of you men what his message was. And the pastor that was was, uh, kind of an offshoot now and late in his ministry from the Methodist church said, that wasn't Jesus' message. He said his message was love, freedom, and liberality. Really? So I'm thinking, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Or the next few passages in Matthew 16 after our story, I'm going to Jerusalem and there I'll be turned over to the to the Roman authorities by the Jewish leaders, and they will abuse me, torture me, kill me, and I'll rise again on the third day. And, and and Luke 24, repentance and forgiveness are to be preached in my name. The resurrected Lord said to the disciples, those weren't his message. I didn't say all that because they didn't want to give me the floor any longer. But in the hallway, one of the other pastors, the Catholic priest, said, He said, uh, why did you come? And I said, I came because my member. As a student, And he was concerned that the real message of Christ wouldn't be heard. And I said, what do you think the real message of Christ was? And he said, he said I believe that he came to bring us love, freedom, and liberality like the other guy. And I said, but, but Jesus said there was sin. And he goes, sin is just whatever's against your conscience. And I said, but Jesus said. And then he said, Jesus said. Jesus said. Don't give me Jesus said. Really? Different Christ, right? A different work. You can say you believe in the person of Christ and says things that are very, very different from what his real work was. His work was to save us. And you're experiencing the same kind of discussions wherever you go, if you are at all saying anything about your Savior Jesus. The true message of Christ often is one voice among many. In Caesarea Philippi, it was just over here near maybe the grotto with Jesus and his twelve But it ended up spreading across the world. But the person and the work of Jesus are the rock on which he builds his church. God's son come to save us. Our only hope. All sinners are in the same boat. Nobody is a good sinner or a bad sinner. All people needed him. He came for all people and he saved everyone. Anytime you turn to him at any point in your life and say, I repent of my sins and I want your grace and forgiveness It's always there for you. He's that big. He's that loving. He's that wonderful. He's the son of the living God. It's the one message that God told Adam and Eve in the garden. And he tells us today, it's the message that Jesus had to define himself with the rest. It's the message that Peter preached when he was the first leader of the church. But many leaders came after him. I mentioned the Apostle Paul and all the leaders down through the ages that have proclaimed his grace and truth the way that I am right here. Jesus, the rock. God wants us to cling to this rock in uncertain times. You know, uh, there's you've seen maybe movies and stories about people that were shipwrecked and cast and their, their boat was cast upon the rocks close to shore and they swim over and crawl up to a rock and hold on until the storm leaves. Maybe that's what we need to do right now is just cling to Christ as our real, this... COVID leaves, till this social rest leaves, until our cancer leaves, till our problems leave. Just cling to Jesus, the rock. It's also the rock upon me, which we build our church. We've got a lot of things that, that in, in any church that are important, but none of them are as important as the message of Christ and who He is and what He did to save us. We dare never give that up. We can, we can disagree on a whole lot of things, but we dare never disagree in our church on the on the rock who is Jesus Christ. It is not negotiable. It is defined by God and it is the salvation of the planet. And thirdly, confidently we need to stand up, speak up and say that Jesus is the savior of the world. It's very easy to get have a a an immature and naive view that makes us get depressed and timid that we're not going to proclaim Jesus as the Christ. Because oftentimes when we say things like Jesus is the Savior of the world and the only hope of humanity, like I've been saying, people will say you cannot really say that. You cannot really be so exclusive to believe that the only way is through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, we are. Yes, we can. And then we can get disappointed because we're naive and we wish that just everybody would come to know that the minute we say it. They didn't when Jesus said it. They didn't when Peter preached. They didn't when Paul preached. And they won't when we do either. Not all of them All the time, right in front of us. Remember what Jesus told Peter in this story? Blessed are you because the Father has revealed that to you. It didn't come from flesh and blood. God the Father wants the message to get proclaimed to all people. But not everybody will believe. Um, I read this recently, but I think some of you may have missed it. So I'm going to read it again, just so you see. And I'm going to talk to you about joy. True joy as a Christian church. We have a little Bible study and we, we offered it to parents who have their children in our, in our um, Hannah's world, which we have next door. And, and uh, a few couples came. And after teaching about three lessons about who is Christ and why he came, the Savior of the world to die for our sins, to give us eternal life and hope in this life and, and peace with God and peace within ourselves. One of the couples, the, 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 the father of the couple, wrote me a nice email to say we won't be back. He had heard very clearly what the Bible's message was. In fact, he's been studying things about religion and Jesus, and he says he's a spiritual man for much of his adult life. <clears throat> I wanted to read to you the email to show you what, what, the way the message of Christ can be understood and yet not believed and not to get discouraged. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged when we get a chance to say who Jesus really is. Hello, Pastor. Good to hear from you. We have decided not to come back to your Bible story, Bible study. We are sorry. It's just not for us. I've been studying religion my whole life. In my own ways, I've got my own God connection. My problem with it is that the, I believe the wrong books were chosen to be in the Bible. But the Bible's in quotes. Then they made up a history that would fit the books that they had chosen I really do not agree with the, the Bible being a holy book. It's a mixed bag. And the New Testament copied a lot of its works from a different original source. And that original source was originally there at Christ's death. And it had a lot to say. But most of Jesus' real version of faith did not fit the history that they had chosen. So those books, or Jesus' books, had to be destroyed. And was, and instead, we got a version, the the book was destroyed, and we got a, a version of the story twice removed from who Jesus really was. It was twice removed because it was not the story that was being told by Jesus. It was a pagan story turned into a one God story using the motifs of the Jewish story. And none of the story Christ was there to teach when he was there made it out of his generation. He, when he was here, taught thousands of people his message. And we can feel his message in our gut. But his message is not the Bible's message. Anyway, it's just that you and I know a different Christ. And I am not trying to attack you in any way. But as men of God, we are going to have to let each other believe in our beliefs. Does that make you sad or happy? I think it's both. Sad because having heard the message of who Jesus really is and what he did to save us, this fellow at the present time has made a very clear departure and said, I'm going to keep believing the narrative that I have heard and I'm going to go the other way. That would make us sad. But it also makes us happy rather than losing our identity because not everybody jumped up and down when we preached and said, yay God, I believe what you said. They did actually hear what we said that the message was clear from being secure and safe in total forgiveness and total love i can say that i we gave as a church a very clear confession and we we told this family who jesus really was for them and that makes me happy because if we didn't have the rock we would actually be a molded clay and coming out out of us would be a message that was uncertain and wouldn't help anybody but by God's grace, because the Father has blessed us with the true Christ, we have a message that's rock-solid truth. Cling to that message. Build your life and your church on that message and proclaim it. Who do people say that I am? That doesn't matter to us. Who do we say he is? That makes all the difference in the world. The world has to have a clear voice from christ church that he is god the only living god who came to earth to die for us and who still lives to give us grace and eternal life that is his message that is our message that's who we say he is god has defined himself and it's a beautiful definition indeed amen